they're mainly grand bouche. If you know French, you know what I said. <laughs> well, you know, the la after um, the last time I, I shared with you, John got so many requests, but he asked me to speak anyway. <coughs> <coughs> you all who have come here a long time know that this is an uncomfortable position for me um, in, in one way, but in another way, it's always wonderful to speak of the goodness of God and um, his word. It's a privilege and an honor to say his word and to speak before you. Um, so uh, you know that I've prayed for the Lord to come back several times before he didn't. And um, I had to speak one time because John feeds me. That was the reason. I had to speak one time because he said I could come out of my room for an extra day. And that was a good reason. So um, and there wasn't any good reason this time. He just uh, asked me, and I think there was a tear in his eye, but that, that could have been it. <coughs> they are ministering in Ohio, and we pray the Lord's blessing on them. And um, I, I usually sound like a truck driver in my normal voice, but in what's the crud that I have, I sound like a truck driver who smokes. <laughs> so I pray the Lord can use <laughs> truck drivers who smoke. I want to talk today about a lot of things, but one of the things that has um, become um, a, a prevalent, oh my, yeah, I got this just in case I start snotting or whatever. <laughs> there. I hope that wasn't on, I hope that wasn't on the <laughs> recording. <coughs> yeah. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> I call it tactile Christianity, and if you tactile is the, is touch, and I love it in housekeeping because I can look at a counter and it looks clean, but I even even with a rag under you know I have a rag I I go oh that's not clean because I can feel something even under the rug the tactile touch it's it's uh, you know the, oh that's oh that's I, I got to get that tag fixed because we have tactile. Sen sensation and we can feel things and in the natural that's not a bad thing in the spiritual it can be deadly because we can't live by the way that we feel um it's um well i'll get to it in a minute here's what the word says lean not to your own understanding and our own understanding is the way we feel how we figured something out it says don't lean that way but and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path and make them straight. So tactile Christianity does not work. It's not in the Bible. The word feel, it never appears in God's word in relationship to following him. It says that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but it never says we're supposed to follow God by the way we feel. You know why? Because feelings lie. Feelings exaggerate. They vacillate. And they are not dependable, but feelings are very real and very dangerous. And that's why we have to be aware of them and stay away from them. So what I want to do today <coughs> is talk about what's real, not the way we feel, but what's real. And that is <coughs> that feelings are not foundational to our lives. 
Uh, it's like the house that built on the sand. We just just sang that. Um, I remember times when I didn't feel married to Gary. That I didn't feel like I loved him. In fact, I did entertain thoughts of drive, throwing him out of a second-story window and, you know, watching him go down. And, and uh, of course, I didn't do that because um, that was just how I felt at the time. I didn't move on those feelings because un- underneath that was the vows of love I took and all the wonderful things that he was, was uh, and whatever I was aggravated um, and homicidal at that point. <laughs> and God forgave me. Uh, but you don't go by your feelings. If we did, we'd all be in hell. That's the truth. If we went by feelings, we would all be in hell. We'd all be divorced. We'd all be um, in a mess. And so the foundation of our life has to be something more than how we feel at a certain time. I remember as a young Christian struggling with this, I got saved every single week. I don't even know how many times I got saved. Over and over and over. And Mrs. Posey would come and she would kneel with me, my little frizzy head. I was 13. And she'd put her hand and pray with me again. And she didn't say, Vicki, you're, you're saved. Why can't you get this? You've already, you know, have you ever done that? Making sure, making sure. I just want to be sure. <clears throat> well, there is a surety in knowing the Lord. And there is surety in love. Uh, the standard that God determined about our love is really shown in marriage. In the, uh, the relationship between a ma- one man and one woman. Let me say that again. One man and one woman. That's what marriage is. That's what God designed it to be. And it's really arrogant of humans to think that we can redefine something that we didn't define in the first place. <clears throat> oh, nothing was thrown. That was a good thing. <laughs> so it's the Bible says that we in marriage are the bride. If you've never been a bride, guess what you are, guys? You know, you can identify as a bride today, okay? That's biblical. We are the bride. We are the body of Christ is a bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom. <clears throat> and this is what he showed us. Uh, I remember, you know, I've talked to, I don't know, hundreds of young women who are looking for the guy, you know. And we all, we all look for certain things in friendship, but especially in marriage, um, <clears throat> Jesus is our bridegroom. And so in the natural, if we're looking for someone, we might look for someone who's faithful. I certainly would. That would be fidelity. Jesus, the bridegroom, says this is what the word says about the person to whom we are betrothed to be married to one day eternally. He is faithful. He is a faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant Loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. Fidelity. I wanted Gary to be faithful. Whoever you're married to or even a friend, we look for fidelity. Well, our groom has said, and he's already passed the first test. He is faithful. The next thing we look for is honesty. The Bible says that there was no guile in him. That there was t- he says, I am the way the truth, and the life. There is no my truth. I'm like up to here with that in our culture. There's not your truth. There is the truth. There is your opinion. There is your experience. There is your uh, past. There's your uh, filter. 
There's your knowledge, but there's not your truth. There's either the truth or all those other things. And so when we can't speak our truth, well, that's my truth. It's only that true. If that's going to only be true, if your truth lines up with his truth, then it can be your truth. And so Jesus said, I'm the truth. That's what our bridegroom said to us. I'm the truth. I am faithful. I have, I'm honest to the end because I am truth. The next thing we would look for is a sacrificial person. Um, someone who, um, uh, would always be in our corner, you know, I'll always give when it hurts. I married a man like that, you know. Not only did he have the most gorgeous Tintex blue eyes and I ever saw, and uh, the most beautiful forearm. Isn't that funny? I fell in love with his forearm. I, it was gorgeous. Uh, <clears throat> and, but, but he was sacrificial to me. He always put himself back behind me that was so attractive and it was so securing it secured me Jesus was our sacrifice here's what the Bible says and herein is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins 1 John 4 10 that means the propitiation means satisfying God's wrath against sin that's what he did sacrifice atonement he is not our superhero. He's our supernatural hero. And I'm not saying that flippantly. He came to rescue us. He rescued every single one of us from the, from the place of death and the place of, um, of failure. He put our feet on a, on a rock on which we stand. So here's our guy. Here's our, our bridegroom. We're looking at his face and he's faithful he's honest he sacrifices he's brought atonement and then we look for submission when i was looking for uh you know when i was uh taking gary apart so to speak in my mind as i went through this i realized that that when you're looking for someone to to be friends with or to spend your life with you don't want um you don't want to marry a king you know you know what i mean by that you you want to marry someone who's cooperative someone who's flexible someone who can say you know vic and this was extremely rare you were right <laughs> that was really rare because gary was so much smarter so much wiser than i ever was but occasionally that did happen and he would say oh yeah you were right and um <clears throat> i did not gloat maybe just a little bit but not a whole lot. So here's what the Bible says about Jesus and his submission. As he, was, as, he was, as he was nearly dead in the garden, this is what he prayed, not my will, but yours. He brought himself under submission to the Father that's over him. What, a, what an example that is of our bridegroom. The next thing is we want someone to protect our relationship. Um, that's where the intimacy in marriage is so precious because it's exclusive. It's exclusive. It, we don't, that's why promiscuity and, and, and all those other things are so out of God's because they're, it's like going like this, just throwing things out there. And marriage brings it like this. It's exclusive. One man and one woman who love each other. The Bible says this is that God put us first. In the New Living Translation, Philips, uh, Philippians 2, 7 and 9 says, <clears throat> though he was God,
though he, and though he was God, <clears throat> he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up all his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, born as a human being. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. That's how he put us first. Deference, that's what you, what I mean, putting a relationship first means deference. The Bible says all of us are supposed to in honor preferring one another, not ourselves first. Um, uh, Gary always did that with me. He always believed more in me. He always encouraged me more, always said, you know, when I failed, he said, it's okay, you know, and, and took care of me. One time when I, I cashed on my whole paycheck and, and mailed it accidentally, like it, it went to this big, it, it, you know, I couldn't believe I did that, but I did that, and I was hysterical. Uh, we, we needed every penny at that point, and I, I, when he came home, I said, Gary, I, 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 don't, I think I mailed in the little pouch that they give you when they cash your check. I think I, when I drop, and he was I was, you know, just crying, and he put me on his lap. I'll never forget, and he went, it's okay, baby. It's just money. I went, I was very calm. I said, what do you mean it's just money? It's our entire, it's my whole pay. And I was just hysterical, and Gary says, God will take care of it. That night at 10 o'clock, the postmaster of McLean, Virginia, called and said, Mrs. Ritchie, did you mail any money today? And you know how the Lord brought that back to us? Because I had put the deposit slip inside that's the only way they knew. My, the deposit slip was going to, and I hardly ever cashed my check, was in there. And he says, um, yeah, he said the machine just starts spitting out all this money. And, and so we're on our hands and knees just, and the little deposit slip t told us how much we had to get. We had to really look for that last hundred. He said, <laughs> <laughs> and Gary went, you're extremely interesting to be married to. Yeah, yeah. But he put me first. He didn't put me down. And even, he could have just slayed me with words, but he didn't. He didn't. He loved me just the way our bridegroom put us first and died the death of a sinner on a cross in our stead. Forgiveness, that's something that we look for in someone that we're going to spend time with, or especially our life. Can they receive forgiveness, you know, and not go on and on and on and on and on about it? Can they give forgiveness? Yes, I have been forgiven in the human terms, not just by God. What a wonderful treasure that is. This is what the Bible says about our bridegroom. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and the bonus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we don't get just forgiven, but we get cleansed as well. That's what our bridegroom offers us. <clears throat> in a covenant relationship like this, we've just gone down all the things, and this is just a few of what our bridegroom has offered us, but it's, it's some of the most salient things that, that Jesus, as our bridegroom, stands before us and says, this is what I am, this is who I am, this is what I have done. In a covenant relationship like marriage, it is not how we feel uh, because a decision to love is a decision of the will. Do we know that? It's, a it's not how you feel. Because I love hot dogs, I love the Redskins, and I love God. They're not the same. You know, Redskins is close, but, uh, you know, just kidding. 
but it's, it's a decision of our will. So the one who joins the bride and groom always stands in front, the officiant, they call it, and the, the bride and groom are here. So there's Jesus and there's all of us, his bride. And in, a, in the natural, he says to both of them, will you, and then he fills in the blank, will you take this woman? Will you honor? He never says, <clears throat> Do you feel like taking her today? Do you feel like you could really honor him? Do you, he never says that. He said, will you? And the old joke is, when I got married, the pastor said, will you? And I wilted. But that's just an old dad joke. <laughs> but that's the question that he asked. And at the end, what does every bride and every groom say? They say, I will. Will you? And they say, I will. Some of them say, do you? And they say, I do. But most of them, the older ones, um, started out with, I will. Will you? Because it's an act of our will that we stand in covenant relationship. It's not an act of the cutest girl on the block, the, 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 you know, the football hero, and you know, I fell in love. And No, it's an act of our will. We have to decide. That's why so many marriages don't make it. Because the f what, what is it called? That you've lost that love and feeling? Well... That's what happens. The love and feeling is gone because the will has not decided to stay married. So, from the lips and the heart of our bridegroom comes these I will promises. This is his I wills to us, his bride. <clears throat> John six thirty seven. All those that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes... I will never, ever reject them. So we have acceptance. That's the most wonderful feeling and experience to be accepted. Have you ever walked into a, a, a room or a, a, a group and you didn't feel accepted? Or maybe your own family? I, yikes, that would be awful. When you don't feel accepted, you can just feel the tension and the cold almost like a cold breeze that comes through. And Jesus said, whoever, whoever comes, I will, I will never, ever reject them. That's his first I will. Then the father asks the next question, and the groom answers this in Ma Matthew four nineteen: Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I love that verse because it's a promise that we have a purpose all of us, every one of us has a purpose for that. The next one, the father asks the question, the officiant, and the son, the bridegroom, answers this way. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will be your comfort. I will be your renewal. I will be your strength. I will be your care. I'll be your strong tower that you can run into. Luke 6, 47, he answers the next, I will. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. And he's talking about the man who built his house on the um, sand and the rock. He said, I'll show you what it's like when you come to me and you put my words into practice. <clears throat> um, so that means that he guides us in, the, in our right direction. Our bridegroom just doesn't leave us on our own, but when we put our 
uh, our faith in him and we come to him and I, we hear his word, first we come and then we hear and then we put into practice, as he said, then he guides us to right decisions and helps us to understand his will. He had said to the disciples right before this verse, he said, why do you call me Lord when you won't obey me? That's a good question. Why do we call him Lord when we won't obey him? That's what's so important when we teach our children, isn't it? I want you to obey. I don't want to hear why you didn't. I don't want to obey. Do what I say. That shows. I always say what we do shows who we love, and it's really true. But here Jesus said, I will show you what it's like. And it's going to be like building your house on on a rock to withstand the storms, and I'll be there to guide you and protect you. The next one, the officiant asks the question, and the bridegroom says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And here he talks about family. I'm going to ask our Father, and he's going to give you another part of the family to be with you. Wow. You know, when you marry someone, you marry into a family, whether we like it or not. And sometimes that is an incredible blessing, and sometimes that will make your hair fall out. <clears throat> it just depends. And if you've, if you've lost your hair, I'm not saying that you have a bad family, but I'm, that was just, this is what popped in my brain. But you know what I mean. If, you were, if you're married, you don't, I mean, you, you marry, and, and, you br and that person brings part of their family in with them whether it be a husband or wife, we can't help it, you know. Sometimes, well, I remember when Christine was in college and she they were on tour and she came to our church to sing and the group that she was in, and she was in the back seat with a couple of her, you know, college friends and um, they were talking and she said something and all of a sudden she stopped and she went, oh my goodness, I just sound like my mom. Like that was deadly, you know, <laughs> you know, like... Oh, I can't believe it. I just said, <laughs> well, Gary and I just laughed because eventually your kids sound like you. They just do. They say your words. I can hear it over and over again and how she talks even today. And, um, and I listen to Lincoln. I can hear him repeating even in the timbre that Michaela talks to him. And so Jesus said, you're going to marry into my family. You're going to, my father is your father. Our, 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 the third part of us, uh, uh, the comforter, you're, you're marrying into that. Wow, we struck it rich on that one, didn't we? <clears throat> Here's the last I will. <clears throat> John 14, 3. <clears throat> and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that where I am, there you may be also. He's building a dream home in paradise for us. Why? So we can be together. That's what our bridegroom just said. I will do that. I will do that. <clears throat> That's the foundation of love. That's the will of love. All those things that he said, this is what I will. I will. I will. I will. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love and keep his commandments. So, so we've got that side of, of the marriage ceremony 
We've figured all that out. We've seen the promises that he's made. We've seen his character revealed. Now he says to us, what does love require of my bride? We who identify ourselves as followers of this bridegroom, followers of Jesus, we call ourselves Christians, which I no longer do because it's so diluted. You know, it can mean anything. Um, I try to say I'm a follower as best I can. I can f- I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? That's, that, that's, that's a hook like that. If I say that, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then I better follow Jesus Christ and what he said. And this is what he says to us, his bride. This is the cost of love. That's why it's, what does love require? I ask myself that all the time in my everyday life. What does love require? Situation come up, what does love require of me? And I don't mean love, love of God, but what does love require of me to my fellow person? What does love require of me to my children, to my grandchildren? What does love require t- of me uh, to my community? There is, a, there is a requirement of love when we say we love someone. I will confess something to you that's just, it's just the most horrible thing I think I've ever done. And that I watched a couple of Maury shows. You remember the Maury, Maury, whatever his name is? Yeah, him, Maury Povich. His father was a great writer. But, so I watched Maury Povich. And I'm saying that so that you all know how horrible I can be. And if you've ever watched Maury Povich, the whole thing is revealing secrets to somebody that doesn't know what they're going to be, what it's going to come, and then the other person uh, telling, you know, and then to see whether, oh, anyway, what I, what I saw in the two or three shows that I watched um, was this, the person who was going to reveal this horrible thing, usually it was infidelity and it was just, it was awfulness. This is what they would say to the person that they were going to reveal this to. You know I love you. <laughs> I mean, I love you, and I mean, baby, we're, we're you're everything to me. You know that. We've been through a lot together, haven't we, babe? And you know I love you. You're the only one. And then they would reveal this horrific thing that tore this person apart. But they said, you know I love you. And after the second or third show, I was screaming at the TV, no, you don't. You don't love her at all. Stop up. Shut up. You know, because it was so infuriating to hear that. You know I love you. And now let me just ruin your life. That's what I'm talking about. We use that word love so flippantly in so many ways, even within the church. We just, we just don't, we don't hold it in the esteem in which God holds it. We have just seen what our bridegroom did for love. The requirement of love, he filled in spades. Oh, that's a bad one. He filled in full. He filled, you couldn't fill it any better than our bridegroom f- filled it. So he says to us, here's, here's, what, here's what you, um, as the bride, here's what your requirement is. He says, and this is not all of them, but this is just a few that, that I picked out. Abide in me. John 15, 4 and 5, remain. It means remain, stay. 
persist. And the one that I like the best is the fourth um, definition, and it means to be held and kept. And I love that. Sometimes when you're just really, you're just really hurting, somebody that you love doesn't have to say one word. They can just hold you. They can just hold you and just touch you. That's why I never feared going to funerals. Gary used to be so nervous about going to a funeral. I don't know what to say. I said, you don't have to speak. You go to them. You put your arms around them. If it's proper, you kiss them on the cheek, and you hold them. That's all. You, you don't have to say one single word. The fact that you were there and the tactile response, that tactile human response is what is needed. And that's what he said. I want you to be held and kept. I want you to stay. I don't want you to visit me for two hours on Sunday morning, but I want you to abide in me. I want you to live in me and me in you. That's, that's what love requires. That's what, our, that's what our groom said to us, the bride. The second thing, follow me. Matthew 16 says, if any of you wants to be my follower, a follower of Jesus, you must Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. The way of Jesus is clear, but it's not always easy. We have to stay close to him. We must give up our own way. We cannot do salvation our way. We cannot do it the way we think it should be. I, I've, you know, I told you I follow court cases. I love them because they're real and I've learned so much. But I remember one of the instructions to the jury of a case that I just recently watched. And she said to the jury, you cannot take the law as the what you think the law should be, but you must answer the questions that I'm going to ask you, that you have to decide about this defendant, about what the law says. You, you don't have the privilege to interpret it that way, or even what the consequences of that. That stayed with me. That's what, that's what Jesus said. You must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. That's the requirement of love for the bride, that we don't do things our own way. You know that horrible song? It was a great song, but a terrible meaning. Uh, my Way by Paul Anka. Remember when that came out? I'll do it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra made it really big. That is the worst song because you will go to hell if you do it your way. Never do it your way. That's terrible advice. And people do, oh, do it, do it my way. That's the way I think it should be done. N no, no. We are kingdom. He's our king. He's our bridegroom. We do it his way. Only his way. N number three, he said to repent. Matthew 4. Repent of your sins and turn to God. And the kingdom of heaven, is, as the kingdom of heaven, is near. <clears throat> as believers, John eleven fourteen says, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. And do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. We should look like purple zebras in this culture. That's how we should look. We should be so different. If, and if you're ever driving down a road and you see a purple zebra, you're going to notice. You're going to take note of that. 
And that's what we want to be as his bride, as purple zebras. As far as the world is concerned, we don't want to ever fit in. We want to be able to turn away from what we used to be. And not, uh, who wants to have wickedness dwell in our tents? And I think in a many churches and in many lives, wickedness dwells within the tent. And you know what happens? We get used to the stink. Yeah. Years ago, we've, we, we, we were... We were visiting, and they had this dog. The people had this dog. Well, the dog had cancer or something. But the smell in the house was so horrible. Guess what? They, They were totally oblivious to it because they'd been in the house. They got used to that. And it was, I mean, when I went home, I just, I put everything in the, took dry clean, cleaned everything because I wanted that. That was the smell of death. That's what it was. It was awful. But they got used to it. I don't want to ever get used to wickedness in my tent as his bride. I want to repent of those things that he uncovers in the ground of my tent and say, Lord, take this out. I'm throwing, it says, put it far away, put it far away and do not let it, or does it says, put it out of your hand and do not let wickedness dwell there. The next thing he says that love requires of his bride is to honor God's law. It says that they're written on hearts that Jesus said he didn't come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. There's nothing wrong with God's laws. There's something wrong with us. The moral laws of God still apply today. They're just as true. And people take advantage and and take credit for that. The world takes credit for the morality that God already established, but we know what God established. Um, His moral laws apply to me. And compromise will kill a relationship. Compromise. In, in, in a physical marriage or in a spiritual marriage. When we compromise what God says, it can kill our relationship with him. Especially if we know that the wickedness is there and we don't honor his law. The next thing that he said, this is what love requires, my bride. This is what he's talking to us. Here's what it requires, my bride. To seek my kingdom, God's kingdom, first. The question is always, why is it that we have so much trouble trusting him for the, for the nine-tenths? I, I, I don't know. My parents w- were givers. You know, I don't know how in the world they raised eight kids. I, my brothers went through, I think, six gallons of milk, six or eight a, a week. They all were teenagers. They all played sports. I don't know how in the world. I was married by then. But I, I said, Mom, later, I said, Mom, how did you do that? She went, I have no idea. She didn't. She just didn't re- even realize. But God, God provided for that. Um, she, and they always gave. They always, missions was foremost, as I've said before, as I was foremost in our, uh, in our home was missions. The missionaries who were on the mission field. And my parents were missionaries when I was real s- small. Seeking God's, and you know what? My mom and dad were never in debt, never. Well, you know what I mean. They had a house payment, but you know what I mean. They never had debt coming at them. They, they were, they, they all, we always had, we didn't have uh, brand new clothes. Hardly ever. We went to the thrift shop, but they were clean. They were starched. Oh, the starch, mom thought starch was next to godliness. <laughs> you know, go to school. But she, that's what she believed in. You starch it and it looks nice because we're honoring the Lord, and so our clothes were maybe not brand new, but what I'm saying to you is they proved that out, and I saw that. I saw the proof in my parents' life of that, 
and realized, am I arrogant enough to really think that I can do better with 10 tenths than God can do with nine tenths? I think that's just the height of arrogance and stupidity to think that. And I love that because he says, my bride, prove me, prove me. See if I won't. And I've talked to many people who don't tithe, and I just go, just prove it. Prove it, I promise. Just prove it. And when they do, they're amazed at what God does. He says, seek me first and all these other things that are so important to you, I will add to you. And if I don't add them, you don't need them. The question we have to ask ourselves is, who owns my time? Who owns my energy, my loyalty, my thoughts? All of these things can be good, but if they're before God, if they take me away from giving God everything, then I've made an idol of them. I don't want to be an idol worshiper, do you? Not as his bride. We're almost done. Don't applaud. (laughs) The next thing he says to the bride is this. Be reconciled. This is an important one. Matthew 5, 24. He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar, in front First, do that before you leave your gift. First, go and be reconciled to the person that drives you crazy, makes you scratch your eyes out, uh, gives you the heebie-jeebies, is uh, is prickly to you, or or has said mean, vicious things, whatever. And then come and offer your gift. And you know why he says that? He says that because we cannot hold bitterness and anger in our heart at the altar and please God you can't do it he says go first and and make it make it right if if I had an ought against like somebody let's I'll say let's say Christine because I live with them that's the most righteous thing John Morgan does is live with me so but if but if I had ought with her I I believe that I would crawl over broken glass and, and I don't care whether she was a thousand percent wrong. I would say, forgive me. Forgive me. Because nothing, nothing is more important than my love for you and your love for me. I've seen that play out. And he says, if you're my bride, you must be reconciled. Don't carry bitterness Coexist in harmony, he says. Don't have resentment and brokenness because brokenness opens us up to infection that turns into bitterness and it turns into, into things that, that break us down. We're just, we're weak because we got this, this crud that Dell and I, Dell's had it for 10 weeks and I've had it, you know, it just, <coughs> it just stays with you, stays with you. We don't want it, um, being not reconciled to someone to stay with us. We want, he says, be reconciled. He didn't say this is a suggestion. He said, do it. If you want to be my bride, this is the requirement of love. The next one is keep my commandments. In other words, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I ask. Obey me. If you say you love me, then you obey me. The last one he says is hate the world. You're not supposed to hate much. You know, we taught our kids, you never, you can, if I, Christine and, and Michael knew, you, you, you better never say, I hate you. You can think it, but if it comes out of your lips, I'm going to take the lip and stretch it over your head. Yes, that's what will happen. So you can never say that you hate us. 
and you can never slam a door. That was the other thing they could never do in the house. But here it says that we, there is something we're supposed to hate, the world. And I don't, it doesn't mean like trees. It means the world system, um, the, uh, the idolatry of the world, everything before God, mimicking the world, which the church is doing a bang-up job of doing that. The, not our church, but the church as a whole. It's just like, wh- wh- what is wrong with us? What in the world has happened to our minds and our spirits that we are mimicking the, the, the death sound of the world in our churches? It breaks my heart. Or speaking as the world speaks. If you've been tuning into my Bible study, I've been talking about words, conversations, tongue, you know, and it says that the tongue is a, is, is a flame of fire and it's set on fire by hell. That's what James 3, 16 says. It is set on fire by hell. So we want to hate that. We don't want to. Stop cussing. I said that on the thing. Stop cussing. What has, and the world has happened that Christians are now cussing. No, no. The Bible says sweet water and, uh, and bitter cannot come out of the same place. Hate the world and all the speech of the world and the thinking of the world and the eyes of the world and the comportment of the world and the temperature of the world and everything. He says, I want you to hate that. Let not the world, love not the world rather, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves this world, love, the foundation of love, the love of the Father is not in him. And now I want to go back and I don't want you to do this out loud. And I'm not asking you to do it if you don't mean it. But if you mean it, I want us to go back and answer I wills to what God says to us about being his follower, his bride. So now the father has just looked at the son and the son has said, these are all the things that I will and a whole lot more that I didn't. Now he's looking this way at the bride. He's looking this way and he's saying, the same thing. Will you? Wilt thou? Will you? So I'm going to read this, and if you agree, then I want you to say that in your own mind, and if you want to whisper it out, you can. However, it's comfortable for you. Number one, I will abide in you. I will follow you. I will Repent of my sins and not have wickedness dwell in my tent. I will honor your law. I will seek your kingdom first. I will be reconciled to someone who I have ought against. I will keep your commandments and obey your commandments. I will hate the world and its systems and everything about it. There's a lot of other things, and I'm just going to bring these all together. I will shine your light. I will do unto others. I will keep your word. I will not judge. I will choose the narrow way. I will love my enemies. I will not lust. I will fill up treasures in heaven. I will go the extra mile. I will develop private disciplines. And that's the question we have to ask each of us individually. In your own life, what does love require for you to follow Jesus? 
And have you said, I will to those? Maybe for the first time, or maybe you're just reminding yourself, that's what I, that's what I said to God. I told him that I would follow him, and I'm glad I'm reminded that I want to be a bride that he looks at and says, this is my bride. It says they're supposed to be spotless, without blemish. You know, we can't do that on our own. We can only do that with his help. He said he would help us. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us. He said, I'll be there. I'll care for you. You can run to me. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you from running. All of the promises that, that, that the, the bridegroom made to us, he's already done. He's already promised that. And we know that he cannot lie. So now, let's ask ourselves, have I done what love requires? Have I or will I do what love requires to be called a follower of Christ? Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for all the I wills that you, um, that you said for us in our stead. Thank you so much that you, you gave yourself to be the propitiation of our sins, Lord, that you promised us a home. You promised us a family. You promised us forgiveness. You promised us cleansing. You promised us care and comfort and solace and help. You promised to be faithful. You are truth to us, Father. You have done all those things. And, Father, we choose today to be the bride that says, I will. Yes, I'm standing in front of God, and I'm with the bridegroom, and I'm looking into your beautiful face, Lord, and I'm saying, I will. I will do those things. I stand on my will to do those things, not how I feel about things, not what <coughs> my other church taught or what my grandmother said or what I've ever even thought myself, but what your word has said and declared. I choose that, and I ask that you would that you would receive me, Father, as a bride unto yourself, that I would be pleasing in your sight, Lord, that when you look at me, that you see the bride that brings joy to your heart as we follow your way. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have been to us, all that you are to us, um, the great, awesome, and wonderful God that you are, and the covenant of love that you have signed by your own blood that we might have right standing with you. And we thank you in the name that is above every other name. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless you guys as you go.